This is the Patriot Cause with Bud Cornwell, United States Marine Corps retired. Welcome back, Patriots. This is The Gunny. Thanks so much for joining the show. Got a big podcast for you tonight. I am going to shut my trap and not talk. And obviously we know why, because I don't ever say anything worth putting down on paper, but my son does. My son was a Marine in Afghanistan in the Marine Corps intelligence field. If you know anything about military intelligence, they know where they're going, why they're going there, what they got to do, and how they got to get out. Listen to my son, Michael, on the radio show, and you will have a better understanding of what you do not know about Afghanistan. Share this podcast. People need to understand from foot soldiers on the ground, what they've done, why they know, and the politicians do not. Without further ado, my son, Michael Cornwell. Let's go to the phones real quick. I got Mike Cornwell on, the son of uh, one of our contributor, regular contributors. Bud, Mike, welcome to the program. I hope you are well. Thank you. I, I am. Well, I appreciate you calling. I don't, I didn't, I think y'all... Bud might be calling in at 10, but he was telling me about you and your experiences, and I wanted to get you on the program. I've been talking about Afghanistan all morning, and my understanding is that, that you served some time in Afghanistan, most mostly across the country. Is that true? Uh, I, I spent, uh, in 2009, I went there in the Marine Corps um, in kind of the entire bottom, like, south part. Okay. So, so are you out of the military now, Mike? Yes, I am. So you can, so you can speak freely about Afghanistan <laughs> as a place, as the people. So just tell me. In general, um, yeah, I can. Yeah, we haven't talked, we haven't spoke at all, so I'm not trying to tee it up. But just tell me about the country, the people, the culture. Uh, there's no hurry. This this program is a long format talk radio show. So, so as sure. long as it takes, it takes. But just. For all of us who've not been there, we, we see it on TV. To me, on TV, it looks like a rocky, uh, dusty, blown-up, rough place. But just tell us about Afghanistan as, as a place and then about the people and the culture, and then we'll come back after the break at the top of the hour and just say, did we not see this coming? How does it really work? Are the people for the Taliban? Just the whole nine yards. You are my you are my Afghanistan expert, Mike. <laughs> Got it. I, I appreciate it. Uh, you know, definitely uh, appreciate my dad. He asked me to come on. Uh, definitely no no qualms uh, chatting about it. I don't normally talk about Afghanistan in public, but uh, right. you know, totally totally content to do it. Um, so where I was in. Uh, the southern part of Afghanistan, it, it kind of reminded me a lot of California. And uh, in the 1960s, they went in and did a bunch of, uh, and I say they, the United States, um, with like USAID and Department of Ag, they went and, and like built all these giant canals and basically, you know, created kind of uh, uh, farmlands out in the desert. And so if you go out into uh, like the Central Valley in California, it actually kind of looks a lot like that. It's very dusty. Um, but, you know, it's got, like, farmland, it's a lot of hills and, and things like that. Now, it also kind of depends on where you are because, you know, if you're in the more mountainous areas, it's obviously more mountainous, a lot colder. Um, but it kind of looks like that. And when, uh, when I went there, it was uh, kind of early spring in 2009, and then I went through the summer there, uh, which it got well over 120 degrees. That's very hot. <laughs> Good. I'm not going to lie. Uh, was it a dry hot or a humid hot? <laughs> uh, mostly, uh, hmm, 
uh, pretty humid, actually. Oof. And the reason is, is again, it's kind of an agricultural land. So there's like there's kind of like a big river that goes through there, and it was, it was a little humid, but it was you know mostly uh, mostly just physically hot. Where if you if you got in the shade and you just did nothing, that was kind of okay. But if you got out in the sun, there's like a there's like a little ticker telling you get out of the light. It is hot. Right. Um, so uh, when I when I was there, I went there as uh, as um, to do economic and political intelligence. So I went there and met um, individual leaders and kind of in general came away with like who matters here. How does this place work? What? Okay. How, how does it? What, what's going on here? Um, so I flew around to a couple different places to meet meet the leaders and kind of work with them, understand kind of generally what was going on and then that information fed up to um uh the commanding general um just before the operation moshtarik uh, which is the battle of marja in 2010 so that's okay. kind of generally what i was there for all right mike hey we gotta take a break the computer is coming up and then we're gonna have mike cornwell on the other side of the break i appreciate him being with us so yeah i'm it's fascinating because i really want to get your thoughts on Okay, well, who these political leaders? You know, what what was their view of the world? Were they the ones that were supposedly on our side? Were they kind of like, hey, I could be all right with the Taliban if they come back? Yeah, I'm very interested in hearing all those things. You don't want to miss the rest of this. Like I said, Mike Cornwell is with us. He has spent time in Afghanistan uh, in the in, the intelligence area. So uh, we'll have him on the other side. We'll be right back. Welcome back into the program, everybody. Scott Beeson Radio starting off the second half of the show. We've got uh, Mike Cornwell with us. Bud has also called in. Mike is Bud's son. Mike spent a bit of time in Afghanistan with military intelligence, is the best I can say. Maybe I'm explaining it wrong in the Marine Corps. But, uh, Mike, I appreciate you being on. Bud, I appreciate you coming on as well. But you were explaining to us, that one of your jobs was to go around and talk to the political leaders and get a get a feel for what they're thinking, that kind of stuff. Can you can you tell us a little bit about that? I mean, the mindset, uh, how they looked at America, how they how they felt about the Taliban. Did they did they trust us? Were they okay with the Taliban coming back uh, culturally? Because I don't think Americans really understand some of the the culture in this these islamic places well i'll i'll tell you um after leaving i kind of left with like probably about three or four like really powerful truths coming out of there and the first thing i'll say is they're people like they're just mm-hmm. people as in like if i were to go walk down road I live on right now and go talk to the people here, they are not all that far different from in Afghanistan. You know, we'd like to think, oh, you know, we're way, they're way over there. They definitely have different problems. They got kind of some unique problems, but, you know, uh, I'd drive by and I'd see kids playing in a ditch. And I'm like, well, you could see that anywhere. It was mm-hmm. a muddy ditch with animals in it, but right. just kind of just, I mean, they're just people, right? right. And, um, there, right out, shortly after I got back, I was I was buying this farmland, and uh, the guy who was selling it to me, we, we got on this topic, and he asked me, uh, he's like, "What do they, what do they think about, like, what do they think about us? You know, do they like us?" And at the time, um, uh, uh, Barack Obama was the president, mm-hmm. and I kind of stopped, uh, stopped for a second, and I thought, and the only way that I could really fully explain it, like, what do they think about the U.S.? Now, I don't know what they think now, but at least in 2009, there's kind of some context behind it. But uh, my reply to him was, is the United States for or against the President Obama? It's, it's, it's like a nonsensical question because it depends on who you talk to. Some right. people, they do. Some people, you know, they kind of do. A lot of people don't even care about the topic. Um, but that's, that's kind of, that's what my experience was. And in general, uh, you know, as far as the Taliban is concerned, um, again, this is very context specific. I was in the South Mm -hmm. 
part of the country and the country right. this is this is a very relevant um understanding of the country there is two halves to that country there's the northern half and there's the southern half the southern half is this homogeneous population which means they're kind of like very similar they're people call them tribal which just really means they're family oriented of sorts like they're they're they deal with the people that they know and okay. they deal in they deal with the environment kind of in the moment. So they do a lot of like interpersonal meetings. They don't have like strict rule sets. The Northern okay. part of the country is much more kind of urban minded. They're uh, diverse populations and they are more rule oriented. And that entire country is run by the fact that those two sides do not get along. They might as well be two completely different countries. And so which side is which? Who, so who is uh, the Taliban? The, the Taliban, you know, and I'm going to kind of hand wave this because it's it's true and not true. It's the southern part of the country. Okay. That the Taliban represents like the the families, the the kind of tribal, you know. But mm-hmm. the, the, we take care of our own kind of mentality. That's where they come from. And that's Whereas, where you were, uh, right? In the southern part. That's where I was. Yes. Okay. Hmm. The the opposite side to that would be Kabul, and uh, if you were to go to the country, it was it was very surprising to see how different the people are there. They're very diverse, and part of the reason for that, like physically diverse, is the Russians came in when they came in and did more or less the same things that we did. Um, we basically <laughs> took their game plan and played it they mixed up the populations intentionally to try to reduce the power of the people in the South because the, the, the Russians actually came in in the eighties to support the Northern side. There was like this political issue going on. The North was losing to the South. So they brought in the Russians and the Russians tried to help improve air quotes, the Southern part of the country. And then there's a proxy war and all that other stuff. So you so, said there was a couple of different lessons that you learned. One was that they are people, which I think people. is important for us us all to remember no matter where. What were some of the other lessons that that you took away from it? Um, one of the other one was, and uh, this is no this is a this is a personal comment. This is not related to any organizations of which I have ever supported, but uh, I realized that the mission that we were on if had we really thought about it and considered it we were in the business of creating central government we were in the job of to create and empower a a powerless central government to impose its will upon a diverse and uh, disenfranchised population that we disenfranchised i mean there's no other way to put it every single person i worked with was a was a former soviet officer or former Soviet politician. Really? Yes. Every one of them. So and, let me ask you a question you, that you probably yeah. shouldn't answer here. Uh, <laughs> that policy sounds very similar to what we're experiencing in the United States by the establishment. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, gosh. No, no doubt about it. I mean, I, I left going, how old is this um, this problem? Like this kind of this is just how i visualize it this kind of urban rule divide that's how i see it mm-hmm. this we kind of you know we do with our own problems because they're comp they're really complex they're a lot more complicated you're an outsider you don't know anything about what's going on mm-hmm. and the ways that one thinks about how you might solve these they all have their pros and cons and the biggest one when i was there was about the police who is who should be the police and how should they operate? And there's really two kind of police. There's police that are from the local area, and then there's police that are not from there that are that are shipped in. Mm-hmm. And there's pros and cons to both. The pro of those who live there, they know what's going on, and they're highly effective at what they do because right. they've got connections. People come and talk to them and things like that. The bad side with that is they use that to their advantage. That's the um, the corrupt side. The flip side of that is you pull people who are not from there and they don't know anything about the population. They have no feelings for the population and they just basically enact rules. Well, it's very ineffective for policing. It's very effective for being a paramilitary, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. peacekeeping 
but not not police. And that was one of the biggest issues. Let me ask you a, a historical question. Yeah. This it, it doesn't matter now, I don't guess, and you may not know the answer because it probably happened sure. a gajillion years ago. What caused so the conflict was between the north and the south in Afghanistan, the north yep. the northern region being much more urban. So who started this conflict? What was the, did the did the no. urban side decide, "Hey, we're going to we're going to make all y'all in the in the rural hit areas live like we do and you're going to do what we say?" And then there was a pushback or was it the more rural areas saying it, it, that would make more sense to me, but it may be just because of my worldview. Do, do you know the history behind it, or was it a thousand years ago and no one knows? No, I don't think it's that that old. Um, the uh, uh, really up until the fifties and sixties, Afghanistan was actually a lot nicer than people can imagine. Uh, one of the areas that I walked through, uh, which was a very surreal moment, that I was walking like next to this ghost town, which is called Nauzad, but they had just, <laughs> just got got through bombing that place into oblivion. Uh, it was a complete ghost town, but you know, 50, 60 years ago, it was like the height of like agricultural and like cultural production was there. They had all this kind of like extremely advanced earthworks and engineering projects there. And here I am walking through, like there's no one, there. <laughs> there's no one there. Um, right. the, the, uh, the, what I can tell you of the history is uh, I do know that the English went in there. I think it was in the early 20th century. They did a lot of wacky stuff. I can tell you that um, they were not friend, friendly to the British at all. I was there mostly with the Brits and um, uh, kind of supporting, like kind of distant from the, the, the main Marine uh, units there, and I was kind of embedded with the British. And I found out very quickly that the Afghans did not like the Brits. And so they were kind of transitioning out and having the Marines kind of transition in. So I got, I got kind of that flavor at the time they had kind of this decent view of Americans. And part of that reason is that entire area could only exist because we, like I said, in the fifties, the USA came in there and built all these giant canals and made it one of the most agriculturally productive places in the world. Mm -hmm. And so there was a little bit of that history. There was kind of this positive history like they're kind of kind of a golden era, and then at some point in time, something happened. I think in the '70s or the early '80s, when the whole you know, as people come to understand that the Afghan or Russia had in, uh, invaded Afghanistan. I'm doing that in air quotes because yes, that's what okay. we all know of it to be is that Russia invaded Afghanistan. Well, right. what I now understand the history to be is there was political uh, there was a political fallout in Kabul. The uh, the southern side basically took over the government, and then they called in their friends, the the Soviets, to come down and basically kind of, hey, you know, you can't do that kind of thing. And then the U.S. <laughs> used that as a time to create a proxy war. And at the time, uh, the U.S. supported the Mujahideen, which is roughly the Taliban now, and funded, gave them weapons and all that kind of stuff. And it was very interesting to see back in 2009, one of the most uh, things that we're looking out for all the time, like the the kind of um, every intel person was on their um, on their toes. If if there was a man pad, if there was a you know a, a, a helicopter, you know rocket launcher that uh, a person could have, because we gave it to them in the 80s, and there was this concern that they would still be around there to shoot at our helicopters. Now I, I don't know if that ever did happen. And there was all always these little um, ghosts of man pads hanging around but uh, hmm. that's pretty much the I think, way i think we might have left happened. them some now <laughs> God. No, that is no that telling. is a, that is amazing i mean just thinking i mean in, in thinking back I, i'm piecing some of that back together if you had asked me on a test okay who did the the mujahideen what you know what would their names be today and we, and we say the taliban we were on the side of those guys and That's against right. the Russians who were coming. It's, it's fascinating to think how complicated that situation is and, and how we ended up where we are today. My, uh, Mike, I appreciate you. I don't want you to go anywhere. I want you to be able to stay if you can. And, and I, I can't sure. thank you enough for how much time you're taking. And bud, you keep bringing me these great guests and you don't get to say anything, but, uh, <laughs> Sorry, sir. That's good. 
fine. But uh, we got to right. take another break, and I, this is fascinating stuff, Mike. I'm telling you, it's it's. We appreciate you so much being on. So we're gonna have more of Mike Cornwell. Bud's gonna listen like I am. We'll be right back. Welcome back into the program, everybody. Mike Cornwell is with me. Bud Cornwell is with me as well. We're discussing Afghanistan. Mike spent some time there, and it's a fascinating conversation, Mike, and I appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk to us. I, I, I wanted to ask a couple other things. One is, when you read or watch the news here in the United States, going all the way back to 2009 when you were there, are, are we told a version of Afghanistan that's different than how it really is on the ground? I mean, do you, when you read the news or you see the news, do you say, wait a minute, that's not exactly right? Man, to answer this question, for anyone who's listening, this is this is a good uh, example of how this is not a pretty scripted quite, or a set of questions. Right. Uh, thinking about a question like this, um, I... What I can say is when I was over there, I was very uh, surprised by the lack of information that flows from there back here. Uh, and afterwards, I mean, it's kind of funny. Um, you know, I'll talk about Afghanistan in, in regular discussions with people, which nobody talks about Afghanistan. Uh, <laughs> and it's the only reason why people are talking about it now is because now it's in the media cycle. And now right. we're talking about Afghanistan because there's something interesting to talk about. But really, up until fairly recently, it it was completely gone. All of a sudden, we were at war for ten years, and no one knew about it. it right. We've been there the whole since I left. They've been doing operations over there. They're still mm-hmm. doing. I mean, it's crazy. Um, there there was a lot of that. There was all sorts of other stuff. Um, I left there uh, understanding very firmly that I don't know what's going on in the world. Uh, I try to avoid the news because it tells me something in which I know that I, I am not actually knowing what's going on. And by adopting uh, what they're saying, even as my starting place, I'm already starting from a, an unknown standpoint. And I say this because I, I had saw information war taking place while I was there. Um, and that's like seemingly, I feel like this used to be talked about like 15 years ago or something. And it's just like, it has totally disappeared. But Information war. When we were over there, there was at least two instances where uh, there was some incidents where, oh, Marines were burning a Koran, and it became this huge political scandal and right. all this kind of stuff. And they were busing. Um, so uh, the the media came out and was like, oh, uh, you know, they did this, and it's so bad, and all this, and like, look at these protests. And I could not tell you whom because I had no idea about it, but those people were bussed in bust in into where Afghanistan to, you know, protest some supposed, first of all, I say right now, if, if, if Marines were burning Korans, you never know about it. You would never have known about such a tiny little thing like that. It would have right. been back in their camp doing whatever, but somehow they know about it and do it. There's no way that it would have happened because it's, it's hard to describe what it's like to be in actually, you know, enlisted Marine. You don't do stupid stuff as much as people think you might do because you're going to get in trouble. So people tend not to do that kind of stuff, but that was a completely manufactured event that happened. Oh, I I remember that. I remember that event making the news cycle. And I remember thinking that doesn't make any sense. Not to mention Marines have plenty of other things to do other than spend time doing that. Um, yeah, that's just that is that is amazing, and I think you make a really good point. As as someone who knows enough to know <laughs> that, that we're not getting getting the news that the that the world is just a different place, but bringing up that story and bussing people in, so the yeah. folks, whoever the left is, whoever the establishment is, whoever the globalists are, they do this everywhere, from Afghanistan to Birmingham, Alabama. It appear it apparently. Goodness gracious. All right, let me ask you this one. Oh, well, first, I, I know you have a book, Mike. I don't want to go through this whole interview without getting you to tell me about your book and, and sure. where we can find it. Sure. Um, my book, it's called uh, uh, 
leadership and influence or influence and leadership. Uh, it's on, available on Amazon and it is a book that I wanted to, um, I read, uh, uh, the art of war, uh, the Sun Tzu book. And, uh, mm-hmm. I was surprised that I had never read that book before. And, uh, it's simple and it's easy. And anybody in the military or who was ever in the military should read this book because it tells you what war actually is. And if you think of war as anything other than what's in that book, you don't understand war. And okay. what I came away from reading that book was how powerful the understanding of that was that you could no longer, uh, falsities could never be, you could never tell me what war is ever again. Anything that you would say that is not in that book, I'd know you, you don't know what you're talking about. So what I wanted to do was do the same thing for leadership and put it into a book. And so uh, it took me about 18 months to write that book. And unlike most leadership books, it does not have any of my stories in it. In fact, uh, throughout the process, uh, I had an editor and uh, she was ripping this book up. She did not like any of it. And then she'd find these stories that I'd write. She's like, oh, I love these. You got to do more of these. And I was like, well, I'm actually removing it. You know, I'll use it for something else, but I don't want it in there. Because uh, if you read Art of War, there's not a lot of stories in it. It's just, it's just the, the what it is. And I've come right. to find that uh, leadership, most people do not know what leadership is at all. They have no idea. Uh, and that's why they get it all wrong. That's why we don't, that's why our leaders are, they're not really leaders. Um, they're, they're very bad people just across the board. I have no, no support for support for them. I can't, I can't disagree with you. Where are they taking us? Right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that would be important for them to tell us for sure. So it's, it's called uh, leaders, influence and leadership. Can we get it at Amazon books a million where good? You can definitely get it at Amazon. Um, I think that that is the best place to get it. Uh, should be available on Prime. Good. Well, we, we will definitely look for that. It's by Mike Cornwell. Don't forget. And, and I, I've got a couple more yep. quick questions, and I hope I don't have to take you all the way through the next break, but I think the computer is going to come on in a second. So what sure. is the role of of Islam in Afghanistan? Are, are the people in Kabul oh, man. really distraught that the Taliban and Sharia law is there? Or is it something that, that, that the people across the board really kind of believe in and we're way more distraught about it than they are? Is it culturally embedded? That, that's the kind of the question that I want to know. Because I'm, I'm distraught for what is going to happen or what the press is telling me is going to happen to women and children. I do think it's, it's oppressive, but I think that about Sharia law and Islam in general so if you can weigh in on that on the other side of the break, and then I'll let you roll, Mike. I, I can't tell you how much we appreciate you you coming on. So uh, we'll have him for one more segment at least, and then we'll let him go. What's, what's wrong, Jeeves? You want him for two more segments? You want him to keep going? He is better on the show than I am. I, I, will, I will give him that. We'll be back. And it's the glory A hundred stripes, a hundred stories It's the pledge of allegiance on the 4th of July It's them handwritten letters from home It's them sleepless nights alone It's his newborn baby he left with his wife Mr. Red, White and Blue Welcome back into the program, everybody. Mike Cornwell is with me. His dad, Bud, is also on the program, and we are talking Afghanistan. Mike, uh, before the break, I was asking if you could give me a, just a... And I know all these answers are purely your opinion, not not representing the Marine Corps or the federal government in any way. But you were there, and you, and you talked to people, and that was part of your job. How does Islam really fit into what is going on in Afghanistan? Is the entire country 
Islamic? Are, are the people in Kabul and in the northern part of the country, are they really that upset that Sharia law is coming with the Taliban? Or maybe the Taliban's not as uh, completely Sharia as what, as what we're told in the press. Just just in general, how is, how does it, how is it going to go there under Islamic rule? Um, lot lot to say here, but at least to give kind of a real... Um, a, a good kind of coarse understanding of the place. I feel like okay. uh, I, I can kind of put it this way. It seems like the appropriate forum. Uh, I think you started picking up on my north-south, uh, po- pointing that out, and the parallels between the United States is is, is quite stark, in my opinion. Um, I think it's very conveniently, you know, easy for it being a kind of a north-south divide. Um, but I think that that kind of... Um, understanding is actually pretty useful uh, to getting, uh, again, a coarse understanding of of what's going on there. Um, I don't believe that much of northern Afghanistan is very um, impacted by Islam. There's probably plenty of people who are Islamic, but it's kind of like in America where there's a lot of people who are maybe kind of Christian or Catholic, but you'd you'd never know anything, you know, about that so maybe so maybe it's a little more secular or a little like hey we really don't care about that kind of thing maybe that's what it is oh yeah i mean you got to think this is this is why all the people we were dealing with were were soviets and none of them were local i got to tell you that i mean it's not that we weren't working with them but they weren't the people that were like we speak your language everything that you're doing is things that we want like that kind of like so convenient that it was like those were the thing they were the people that were most interested or um easy to talk to and work with but those people were not islamic of any sorts they were very secular very rules oriented they had been they had been many of them had been trained in moscow and like moscow schools and stuff and they Mm -hmm. had like come back to like become politicians and whatnot um having said that uh, a good way to understand kind of the south is kind of like in southern u.s i mean uh, a lot of people are, you know, much more uh, religious in the South, and mm-hmm. depending on which church you go to, it might be, uh, for some people, it might be a wake-up call walking in that church, and, I mean, they're talking about some rough stuff in there. Um, okay. That, I'd say, is very equivalent. And then there's other places where, you know, people are very, uh, very peaceful, very, you know, family-oriented, and those sorts of things. I think it's, a, a from, like, a course perspective— it's kind of a under, it's a real good understanding of how that country breaks out. Now, as far as Sharia law goes, um, I don't really know what to say about that. I will definitely say right now, the boys who are uh, in power, they don't play around. Like uh, the majority of the Taliban, you know, I, it's been a long time since I've done and received kind of intelligence on any of this kind of stuff. But when I when I was working on this problem set uh, over ten years ago, the majority of it was all foreign fighters. All of the leadership was in Pakistan, and then they hired foreign fighters from around the world to basically fight and do their bidding. So, I mean, that, really? that just is what it is. Yeah. So, so, so the radical, arguably what I would call the radical leadership, is yeah. kind of imported from somewhere else. Well, so it, it's almost no, like no. a occupying force. Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, uh, um, the people who did the fighting were not from that country. But the people who were leading them, they were from that country. But they were okay. exiled into Pakistan. Okay, okay, gotcha, gotcha. That makes sense. So one more quick—I got what two more quick questions. One is, yeah, how sure. did we ever get on the opposite side? So, so we support the Mujahideen against the Russians and against the powers that be in Kabul, and then the Russians decide, hey, this is a disaster. We're out of here. Yep. And then how did we end up on the side that the Russians were on against the people who we were supporting at one time? This this is a good question. I don't know. the. There's certain parts of this that I don't know that you'd have to talk to the CIA. They're the only people who, who probably know this stuff. But right. come 2001, the, the, the narrative is the Taliban had and was harboring uh, terrorist camps in, in and throughout Afghanistan. I am okay. sure there's political dealings with them that they were saying, hey, yeah, you better kick them out or you better do something. That obviously did not work. So they sent in, you know, they sent in special forces in northern Afghanistan and they cleared it in like five seconds. Well, no okay. surprise because the Taliban, that's not 
it's not their home turf is northern Afghanistan. They cleared okay. it all the way to Kabul, and then as part of that, they're you know removing them from power. And I, I don't remember the exact dates, but it's somewhere around like 2005. By that point, the country apparently was like very at peace. Like there was like no issues. I had mm-hmm. heard people who had been there for like 10 years by that point. That they're like, oh, yeah, I used to just drive around the country wherever I wanted with no no, no concerns whatsoever. And then by 2009, it's like, you're not going to get in a car. You're going to get kidnapped. Wow. So, uh, so we, we came in, and w- when I really think about kind of what is the spirit of the U.S. going into something like this, and there could have been other things involved, but just the general spirit is, hey, we need to help these people. This is not, this is not, uh, this is not good for them, and, you know, whatever. And then so we're going down there, and we're more or less kind of dumb and ignorant, and we're asking around, like, oh, what do we got to do? And the only people who were, like, quick to come to us and naturally to talk to us were all those big government types. They're the kind that are like, hey, spend your money here. You know, let's get Kabul to send resources down here. I mean, that's just, that's how they thought. They would do stuff like, oh, what we really need to do is what we need to build up the economy here and all, like, all this nation-building type stuff. And there was a lot of Marines that were, they were like, we are here to kill people. Like, right. Like, really, that's that simple. I mean, that's I mean, that's Marines. That's what Marines, um, that's, what, that's what our military is supposed to do, isn't it? You know, kill people and break things? Yes. Yeah, and, you know, and, and be on part of that side. And uh, the Afghanis, when when I really got an understanding of them, they, they lived in this, they had this very weird position that they were in where depending on whom had a gun in front of them is which side that they were on. They are definitely, even in the, even in the south, southern part of the country, they're not that big on the Taliban. I mean, even now, like, most people don't, care about politics or security and stuff like that they only care about it when they have to care about it they want to like you know live their life and stuff and that is exactly what is what the deal is so uh, live their lives and be left alone absolutely exactly mike i can't tell you how appreciative i am and we'll switch over to your dad um for for a quick question so so bud how is how do former military i mean people who were around kind of bef- before we got there, before we started having problems and have gotten out, et cetera. Uh, what's the feel among the, the guys who used to be in the military about this whole fall of Afghanistan, everything? That's a great question. Um, it, it takes a lot for me to, to represent and talk to you about my friends. I have military friends that retired and uh, are former Marines that did multiple tours in Afghanistan. And some of them were in, in the meat of it and seen the destruction with the IEDs. The, the type of enemy was no different than what we did in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Just a guerrilla type war. And that takes a tremendous toll, not only on the ones that get injured and, of course, the ones that die, but also the ones that have to come home and have those memories with them forever. Uh, As soon as I started catching wind that, you know, um, they're going to pull out of Afghanistan, that Biden said, well, we're going to pull out of Afghanistan, started having conversations with my friends about it and, you know, some of them said, well, we're, not, we're never going to pull out of there. I mean, he may reduce the forces and so forth, but we're not going to pull out of there. I mean, 3,500 people, 3,500 military advisors and support was, was basically covering that country. That's the best way to look at it. So we were all convinced that, nah, he's just, you know, it's just a political thing. And then it happened. And the ones that I talked to, yesterday and the day before as this was unfolding the best way i can explain this is the absolute disgust that they have for this government it is it, it just it, it just it blew them away and, and what a, and what a poor that, job we, that we have done the, the whole just drop everything and run out and leave everything the, kind of show that the biden yeah. administration has done exactly the drop everything Look, if you're going to come out of a country, you take everything out with you. Mm-hmm. That, and this is what America did in Vietnam. This is what we did in Korea and other places. 
we pulled out of these places and left billions of dollars of equipment. Same thing in Iraq, you know. And the way it should have been done is, okay, and this is how the military's trained. When we're done with an operation, we take all our people and all our equipment out, and we go home. That's the way it's supposed to be done. So the retired military people that I talk to are absolutely beside themselves. Now, that's one issue, how the government actually did this withdrawal is just atrocious to these people. We spent all that money. And not only that, what happens if we got to go back in Afghanistan? Now we're fighting against our own equipment. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, well, it's insane. The, Chi- the, Chi- the, the Chinese thing- will have all the drones. So, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll just get to fight against our drones built by the Chinese, and they'll work exactly like ours. You know, unless you want to, unless you want to go down the road of, well, maybe we needed to, maybe the Biden administration needed to give the Chinese some drones. I mean, I don't know how much artwork cost. <laughs> yeah, that's another, you're right. That's, that's another snake in this whole thing. Because right now, China is ingrained in Pakistan. Let's yeah, uh, let's talk about that on the other side, Mike. I, I appreciate okay. I appreciate you being on, Mike. Don't forget, Mike Cornwell has a book, Influence and Leadership. You can find it over at Amazon. Uh, I'm sure it is fantastic, Mike. Uh, hopefully, I'll be able to get you on another time. I appreciate your uh, your insights on Afghanistan, and uh, you have a great one, Bud. If you can hang on, I want to get a some thoughts from you on Afghanistan and China moving forward. If I lived mm-hmm. in Taiwan, make sure I get my Thai countries right, right. In Taiwan, I would uh, be finding out what kind of sailboat it takes to get to maybe <laughs> the mainland United States. We'll talk about that on the other side. Yeah. We will be back. I would learn how to swim thousands of miles. <laughs> you got that right. Shark, invest in shark repellent. We'll be back. There you go. <laughs> Scott Beeson, your Southern hyphenated American. Longtime listeners of the show have heard all the ads for Honda of Jasper, but I can't recommend them enough. Honda of Jasper has a great selection of new and used vehicles. My wife's van is from there. We have sent so many people there. And I frankly can't recall anyone that we've recommended Honda of Jasper to that didn't buy a car from them. They are open every day except Sunday. It is an award-winning dealership. Test me on this. Shop around and then call my friends at Honda of Jasper. 205 385 0100. You will not be disappointed with the folks at Honda of Jasper. Summer is here. School is out. The weather is nice. It is time to get outdoors and play around the golf at Mountain View Golf Course in Graysville. They have 27 spectacular holes to play. They're open from sunup to sundown. Hey, come by and play around before work. Ask them about their twilight special that starts after 3 p.m. The phone number out there is 205-674-8362. Give them a call. Make sure you get a tee time. This is my recommendation. Head out to Mountain View Golf Course this afternoon. Have a late lunch. They have a great grill with the best burgers in town, then play that Twilight Special. Come out and play a great round of golf at Mountain View Golf Course. This is Lee Habib with Our American Stories, and we tell stories about everything on this show, from the arts to sports and business to history and everything in between. Tune in tonight and each weeknight to hear stories about this great nation on Our American Stories. Weekdays from 2 to 4 right here on WYDE. Give us a call at 205-942-8585 or toll free at 866-245-5480. Again, those numbers are 205-942-8585 or toll free at 866-245-5480. Welcome back into the program. We've had Mike Cornwell on, his dad, Bud. Do you have to say, can you say dad when you're Marines, or do I have to say father? (laughs) 
No, he, dad. He's my, I'm his dad. Man, that's <laughs> awesome. Well, I know you're proud, and I appreciate both of y'all's uh, service. Um, it is – so you said something that I hope we don't have to do, which was mm-hmm. – going back to Afghanistan and have to fight against our own equipment. I'm not quite as bothered about, I mean, I am, but tanks, well, tanks are pretty top secret kind of stuff too, but rifles and stuff don't bother as much. But, But having our drones left there, when I distinctly remember during the Trump administration, we had a drone, what, shot down, that the Iranians claimed that they got, and oh, it was just, it was a tragedy. The Iranians have our technology. Oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. Now we leave them sitting on the tarmac somewhere, and the mainstream media just, I don't know. Here's my question. You were in the military. You can tell I'm beginning to get frustrated again. How Mm -hmm. does Lloyd Austin and Silly Millie at the Joint Chiefs, and whoever was in charge on the ground in Afghanistan, how do they let that happen? I mean, look, the Confederates threw their cannons in the rivers to keep the Yankees from getting them, and and we leave drones on the airstrips in Afghanistan. How is that possible, Bud? I don't I don't get that. I mean, my fourteen year old playing video games would not do that. Absolutely not. Remember my son was telling about leadership? What, yes, what sir. true leaders are? Yes. Just because a general has four stars on his lapel doesn't necessarily make him the greatest leader on the planet. And don't ever forget that. Even the people in the military know that. Because people advance in uh, in the military through different means. And there's a lot of what I call me officers. It's all about me progressing and getting into these positions. These individuals that had, that made this decision to pull out of Afghanistan and leave the, all of that equipment there is uh, my personal opinion. Again, complete traitors to this country. The reason I say that is because, again, the military does not, you don't do this in the U.S. military. You take it all out. The government says, the president says, okay, I'm telling you we're done with this mission. All right, sir, you pack up your stuff and you go home. You don't just abandon everything and go home. But this is what the decision that these military Pentagon guys did. I do not think. Really, I don't. I don't think it was their specific decision to do that. I think it was the politics and the pressure of the administration to do that. Because See, that, remember, that, that would mean that the administration would be out of there by nine eleven, right? Remember that, right? Yes. Well, the only way to do that is you just leave everything there is and you start taking people out. Remember, they had this ninety day thing when they started announcing in ninety right. days. Right. We, we, you know, right. we'll be able to pull out of there in 90 days. Well, guess what? Right. 72 hours later, it's taken over by the Taliban. Right. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And the, and the mainstream media and the politicians in Washington are already circling the wagons. As I was checking out my Afghanistan map to get there, I had to look at multiple news outlets now saying, well, intelligence reports on Afghanistan, the withdrawal, were reportedly all over the map. See, it won't be Biden's fault because somebody said, oh, you know, they probably could take over. Well, they might not take it. I'm just, it is, right. we are lied to so much in this country, but, but let's move forward. I think this debacle in Afghanistan is clearly signaling to the world that America is back to weakness. That's no reflection yes. on our guys and girls in the military. No, but not our, at all. our policies. Yes, and if I'm China or if I'm Russia, I am definitely licking my chops thinking, all right, what can mm-hmm. I, what can we do? Now we didn't talk about this a lot when we gave, um, Oh golly, Hong Kong back to right. 
the Chinese, which I think showed weakness for, on the world's part. Everybody knew what was going to happen to those people. Um, if I'm China, what keeps me from just saying pulling a Russian Crimea stunt on Joe Biden? They're, and this military. I mean, Lloyd Austin yep. won't even realize Taiwan's gone because he's too busy doing, uh, you know, wokester training and looking for extremists yeah. in the military. Exactly. Where's your priorities at? Are you are your priorities doing the military general job that you're hired to do, or play little games with the White House? And that's what the that's what it is. Did you know this? A lot of people don't know this. Pakistan and Afghanistan are bordered with China. So in other words, there there's no countries in between China and Afghanistan. There's a border. Now it's small, but there is an actual border. And anybody that understands how borders in this, this world works, all you got to do is have an agreement between one country and another that's bordered, and they can swap back and forth all day. So I'm telling you right now, China is deep inside of Afghanistan. All right now, today. I'm not talking about personnel and so forth. I'm talking about policy, uh, you know, with the Afghan, or soon to be Afghan, Taliban, whatever government, just like they're doing with Pakistan. People, a lot of people don't know that. Well, it's it's it really is it really is a mess, and I don't know, I don't know what what is going on. I, I keep going back to the drone thing that that cannot be an accident. How, how long does it take to fly a drone out? Um, you yeah. know, the last couple of guys there say, Hey, there's a drone left behind the building. Somebody get that thing out of here. It, it, there's, there was gotta be a purpose on some of that technology being left there. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and it, and it, now here's, it's here's another one, Scott. I want, I want to throw this in real quick. Cause this is important to understand. All right. You got a Pakistan minute. Pakistan does not like Iran, right? But Iran right. likes Afghanistan. So think about that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, Iran might be running Afghanistan before long. Oh, yep. what a mess. And guess what? Yep. Our, our government likes Iran now, remember? We're back to liking Iran again. Oh, my goodness. It's bad. Bud Cornwell's been my guest. Mike Cornwell is my guest for the better part of an hour. We appreciate both of y'all. We look forward to speaking with you again. We'll be back. Enough words said, simply stand up, show up, speak up. This is the Gunny Out.